Hi, I'm Dr. Jay Lee Spian from Australia. This podcast series is part of the International Association for Suicide Prevention's 31st World Congress on the Gold Coast and sponsored by EveryMind, a leading Australian institute dedicated to the prevention of mental ill health and the prevention of suicide, and our MindFrame program aimed at supporting safe and effective communication. Hi, everyone. My name is Stephen Scott. I'm the uh, National Partnerships Manager at Standby Support After Suicide. And uh, welcome to this podcast for the International Association for Suicide Prevention's 31st World Congress. Today, we're focusing on day two of the conference. I'm here with Carrie Lumbee and Joe Riley, who are members of the Illawarra Shoalhaven Suicide Prevention Collaborative uh, here in Australia as well. I should just start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the lands on which we are delivering this um, podcast and pay my respects to the elders past and present. And I also acknowledge all people with lived experience of suicide as well. Now, we are going to start by focusing on yesterday's keynote, which was a um, concurrent session, one on boys and men, the other was on uh, lived experience, and I was one of the keynote speakers there, so I won't uh, blow my own trumpet. I think I'll just hand over to Joe and Carrie to um, provide some critical reflection of my presentation and the other content that they might have seen in that session as well. So, Joe, would you like to go first? on um, your reflections of that keynote yesterday morning. Yeah, thanks, Stephen. Yeah, it was fantastic. Well, first of all, just to see a keynote listed, you know, for lived experience with that so clearly being marked out. And I think the quality of the presentations was just amazing in that session as well. So, hey, kudos to you, Stephen. You weren't the only one who presented in there, though. But no, it was really just such a powerful session. You know, I'm going to start with reflecting on your presentation, Stephen, because people who know me know I've been bumping around in the lived experience of suicide prevention space for quite a while, but you brought me to tears with it. I think it was just the authenticity of the delivery of what you shared. It wasn't just about sharing your lived experience journey yourself, but I think what I really heard in that presentation too was the way that so many of us bring our lived experience into the work that we do. And then reflections around, I think, how that, whether it's consciously or unconsciously, impacts the way that we influence suicide prevention work. So I think you really quite consciously brought aspects of that into the work that you did with New South Wales Health Ministry in designing the Towards Zero Suicide set of initiatives. And so you could really see the value of having lived experience embedded at the absolute heart of those initiatives because you were living and breathing it yourself, whether or not that was seen and known by other people. But the other thing that really got me was having that really open conversation about the stuff that goes wrong because we hear an awful lot about the rhetoric of lived experience inclusion and how great it's all going and the lived experience movement and all the tremendous change we've made but the reality of it is that the process can be bruising we are pushing up against power structures and all different forms of power that have been deeply embedded for a long time And it's a journey for culture change that we're on there. And I think everything that you said was just so spot on. I'm sorry that you've had the experiences that you had. I think the personal cost 
I understand that. I've been there too in different ways in myself, but um, not to take away from from your experience, Stephen, but the deep gratitude, I think, that I feel as someone working in the space and wanting better for our community, but also as someone with lived experience who kind of personally benefits in a sense. Just deep gratitude to you, Stephen, for that and also for sharing it so openly. I think what I felt your presentation was, I think it's a must watch for anyone who didn't get to see it, but it's the other side of the conversation. And I think it's opened up that conversation. It's a conversation we need to continue having in suicide prevention to really make change. That's my two cents. But Carrie, what about you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I can <laughs> yeah, it's, I can see the emotion for you. I've heard it and I felt the same. I have to say it really just blew me away. And I think what was so powerful is the way it broke down and broke open that false dichotomy that is structuring all these conversations. There are people that are out with their lived experience where a lived experience member of Culture Change or an advocate were sitting there. And then there are these people inside government or inside hospitals or, you know, work working in those professional roles. And I think that's so important because those us and them dynamics are the things that are so destructive around culture change. And so to me, it was such a powerful kind of symbolic expression of the fact that there are not these bright lines. We're all people, we're all community members first. We're people that, and people do come to this space, come to suicide prevention, often they're activated by their own lived experience. That was the take-home message for me. And also just someone prepared to be so deeply reflective and honest about the as you say Joe the things that didn't go well it's so easy to just give a nice bright shiny account of things and of course government does that via press releases and endless frameworks and announcements so it's greatly appreciated when someone's prepared to do that and to share the personal cost in actually having a philosophical vision for the culture change and what it takes to try and stay the course of it and you know we've been inside those initiatives on the ground as well and so just it's just awesome and to have someone that's able to tell us what it was like at that policy level because culture change is a long-term gain and we have to keep learning and iterating through owning our mistakes. All of us have to do that. If we don't bring these into the sunlight, we can't. That's the antiseptic a bit. You know, we need to be able to all be honest. We're just not going to get anywhere if we're not honest. Well, thank you. Thank you both so much for honouring with those beautiful comments. I really appreciate that. It was such a privileged position to have that platform to be able to talk about what I spoke about there. And because of that opportunity, there was no way I was going to, you know, use this as just a um, a cheerleading kind of opportunity. It's too important for us not to go through the entrails of what's worked and what hasn't and to be really open and frank about that. And I think because of the development of the lived experience movement, we need to, I think, move from a place now where we're grateful for being at the table to having some lines in the sand that should not be crossed and having the space to reflect openly and call out what needs to be called out when it does need to be called out. It was a real turning point for me personally to have been able to have shared that with all of you. And um, I really think it's fantastic that IASP has created that space for people with lived experience in the, uh, in the conference to, to share that kind of discussion 
I think just on that point you were raising, Carrie, about, you know, the us and them and how destructive that is, one of the conclusions I hope that some of the viewers of that, you know, might take away is that we shouldn't be waiting for or relying on people with lived experience to kind of declare themselves for us to make sure that the environment is psychologically safe for everyone, compassionate for everyone. And importantly, this this isn't about asking for special treatment for people with lived experience. It's actually just setting a standard for how our service cultures, our partnership cultures, the cultures in which we're all doing this suicide prevention work is supported for everyone, that those spaces are supported for everyone, whether they've indicated they have lived experience or not. And I think that is part of the problem, you know, that we're struggling with as well, is that the us and them happens in both directions as well. And, you know, I think there's an, an assumption within many of our systems and services that people with lived experience are out there somewhere. They're not inside. They're not already doing the work within the system and within uh, within our services. So, yeah, fantastic to have had that opportunity. And um, I really hope it's the start of, you know, of more of these types of discussions at forums like GAIAS. Let's uh, move on, uh, if you like, to some of the other presentations or keynotes that we saw uh, throughout the day. Joe or Carrie, did you want to talk about some other reflections from other material you saw in the keynote session in particular? I think, Carrie, you had also seen Vikram's presentation uh, earlier. So did you have some comments you wanted to make on that? Yeah, sure. Look, I found that very inspiring. I saw in the program that the keynote lived experience session, I was a little bit puzzled at first that it wasn't someone, as Joe was talking about before, that idea of we needing to be just speaking to our own lived experience, but it really made sense to me once I heard it and particularly to hear someone in his sort of position talk so much around the need to understand suicide prevention, the suicide risk really being driven for youth and for all of us around those structural drivers, talking about particularly that they are rooted in traumatic histories, to talk about trauma on all of those different levels, to talk about systemic trauma, but also the transgenerational cultural transmission of trauma, to hear that in such a mainstream context and particularly in a research-heavy conference was really heartening for me, I have to say. There's so much, particularly in Australia, I feel around youth suicide where we think the solution is around more funding for more mental health services. The idea that the problem, quote-unquote, of suicide is located at the level of the individual and even further located the sort of biological brain of the individual. Therefore, the solution is about clinical interventions into that biological brain and it's very very heartening to hear that people are talking like Vikram about the need to understand these things at a structural level about structural injustice and inequality. I think that's been a quite interesting focus that's been evident through a lot of the uh, discussion that I saw yesterday as well that the field does seem to be moving beyond this very biomedical model and there's an enthusiasm about looking at these broader causal factors history culture society communication um, which I think is just so refreshing um Joe you've been to previous IASPs how do you feel as though this is comparing to previous discussions you've seen 
Yeah, look, I was lucky enough to get over to North Ireland to go to the Dairy London Dairy World Congress two years ago, I think it was. And I mean, that was an amazing experience. It's disappointing not to be together in person with people and reconnect with people that we've seen. But I'll tell you what, one good thing about a virtual conference is knowing you can listen to the recordings later, rather than that frantic run between buildings and getting lost, trying to yeah. find the right room. <laughs> so yeah. I love that, that I've got all of these to come back to later. But yeah, look, I think it is something that I've seen a bit of a shift in. I think so far what I'm hearing in the conference is a lot more practical kind of an intervention-based sessions. Maybe I'm just picking them out. I don't know. But it feels more human in that sense, I guess. It's talking about real people and how we can help reach and help and support real people. And I think that's really wonderful. I mean, we're still seeing really high quality research. I don't want to discount that. But I think, hey, kudos to all the presenters who've been able to deliver that research with just great skill. I think it's that trick of the good old science communication. And I think we're seeing some tremendous ability in the suicide prevention space. So for me, that's really coming through. Yeah, I agree. I uh, saw a very interesting um, presentation later in the day at a a national surveillance session where Brian Mashara was comparing suicide rates in different countries in relation to when their national strategies were put in place. And um, of course, it's a, a fairly obvious point, I suppose, that there's not necessarily a linear relationship between these these things. And so the discussion moved on very quickly to look at the need to go into the practical implementation of national strategies rather than just, you know, the very superficial existence or non-existence of those national strategies. So I thought that was quite interesting. Carrie, what about you? What else had you looked at through the rest of the day that you were finding particularly stimulating? Yeah, the session that I found really, really interesting was the session on the establishment of the LGBTQI special interest group and that whole session around people who the dominant culture says are sexually and gender diverse. And what I found really fascinating from the perspective of someone who, you know, works within a collaborative and whose passion is around the sort of power of collaboration is the fact that while in the early days of getting this up and running, that the co-chairs there that spoke, Martina McGrath, was talking about that it won't be restricted to people who identify in that way or organisations that are specifically serving those communities, that they're going to have it open to anyone that feels that they're either allies or really a keen interest and want to be supportive. Now, one of the reasons, of course, is because of the way in which... (laughs) People's lives are at risk by openly identifying, obviously, in other countries, but unfortunately, even in Western countries, with the way you know the political climate is going, there's a risk to people's lives. We talk about stigma, but it goes well beyond that. And so that's one reason. But I also felt that sense of, and it's my experience when I've collaborated with queer communities in another context in the arts, that there's just enthusiasm for genuine inclusion at a principal level, I think. People in those spaces get it, are actual cultural experts of genuine inclusion, of genuinely a no wrong door approach and collaboration. And so for me, it was heartwarming and beautiful to feel that everyone's welcomed in trying to get this up and running and to see 
a systematic approach being taken to sort of establishing this group globally. And I felt a lot of love in the room for that. And so that was lovely. That was a highlight for me. Mm-hmm. That was a, a really fantastic session. I was uh, delighted to have been asked to chair that. So really wonderful. If you want to know more about the special interest group on LGBTI uh, suicide prevention that's being established through uh, IAS, then uh, certainly go and check out that session. But another big topic for yesterday, as well as I think through the conference generally, is around suicide prevention in men and boys. And uh, Joe, I think you'd attended uh, one of the sessions around that yesterday. Did you want to comment a bit further on what you're seeing there? I also attended one of the later sessions, so it might be interesting to compare notes a little. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. Look, I got along to Symposium 7, which was from research to real world interventions in men's mental health and suicide prevention. And that was a session where actually it was a three different interventions or programs and research that had been Movember funded. And I just wanted to make a note about that, actually, too. I love the circle of that, that, you know, it's men raising money for men's mental health and suicide prevention. It all gets back, you know, that nice loop there that it's community looking after the community. And but also how important it is to have these other sources of funding for research, too, so that, you know, we can have some big ambitious projects going on in suicide prevention because let's face it we need it so yeah look there was Stuart Vella was talking about the ahead of the game program which is you know one of these very sports focused programs around trying to build some basic mental health literacy resilience kind of work in young guys in particular and getting footballers and things like that involved Mark Dads was talking about Try to remember the name of it. Uh, damn, that's terrible. Anyway, great session. Um, talking about an online parenting program, which fathering project or something like that. Yeah, which was really interesting about the importance of getting starting from you know birth. We need to, if we're really going to prevent suicide, we need to be preventing. You know, and that means teaching parents how to parent better you know and taking all the wealth of knowledge that we have around what really works well to build resilient healthy young people through parenting and getting that to people but it was really interesting how challenging it's been with a lot of the traditional parenting programs to reach fathers and so the work that they were doing it is getting much better engagement of fathers so that was super and then Sarah Coglin was talking about taking the man up program that we know we had in Australia uh, the documentary series and adapting that for the New Zealand audience it was really interesting because they were all very practical real world interventions that are going on here and I think that's what we need anyway to reach men isn't it but the thing that I really appreciated as well is you know again this was high quality researchers but talking about how different it is to do research out of the lab and to, you know, be delivering something to real people where they are comes with so many challenges. So I loved that implementation focus, I guess. 
and hearing the lessons being learned and just the the honesty and saying it didn't work things didn't work we had to keep trying we had to try a different way we had to really collaborate and things like that so yeah it was really great it's so good to hear anything that we can get to reach our men and boys in the community is appreciated I know that's things that I'm really tuned into to look to take back to the Illawarra Shoalhaven for the collaborative but also southern New South Wales as well for my primary health network role there so anything that we can get to learn and take down that scale would be super. Fantastic. I also had a, a Movember moment later in the day. There was a session in the evening called uh, Out of the Ashes, Navigating Male Suicide with a, a lived experience panel. And it was a really fascinating discussion led by Zach Seidler. The panel guests were amazing, really. Uh, Julian Lisa, who's a Member of Parliament, who's spoken openly about um, being bereaved by suicide um, following the death of his father, and Anita and Chelsea Frawley, who are the family members of uh, Danny Frawley, the well-known Australian Football League uh, player and coach, who passed in 2019. And also Dan Price, who had actually drawn a lot of media attention in 2019 following an incident and uh, has since become a strong advocate for suicide prevention. And I think it's a credit to Movember that, you know, they're creating a space in which some of these quite problematic topics around men's suicide prevention can be discussed, like uh, the impact of relationships, separation and uh, divorce and custody issues, which seem to be a, a significant psychosocial fact in men's suicides. So, you know, I thought that was really impressive and certainly a, a great uh, lineup there. But one of the points that I do have to raise, and it links back to your uh, mention of the LGBTI issues earlier, um, Carrie, is that I do find that in these discussions about men's suicide prevention, we, we don't tend to hear about suicide prevention for gay and bisexual men, trans men in those discussions. And I think one of the issues that is quite concerning and which you know was very much raised in the LGBTI symposium as well is that we have governments even in developed countries that are increasingly hostile to the LGBTI community and of course you know our own government here in Australia is on the one hand prosecuting a priority around suicide prevention but on the other hand also advancing a religious freedom also known as religious discrimination agenda, which is uh, directly harmful to the LGBTI community as well. I would really like to see there being a, a greater connection made between these discordant issues that we have in front of us. Uh, so, Carrie, I'm sure you would have some further comment to make. Yeah, I think um, absolutely, like what you said. I think also it's important to say that how men have been conceptualised, even men that identify as straight often feel very marginalised in these conversations that are real homogenising of what we mean by men. And there has been historically a very kind of blokey idea of people that go to the footy and a lot of stuff. And while that's really important to reach those people, we know that the people that are socially isolated that don't feel they fit that mould are actually some of the highest risk 
a suicide and we need to be reaching those people and they don't identify. And actually, interestingly, sometimes it's a real risk of kind of reproducing very traditional notions of masculinity, almost toxic masculinity that actually in the first place gives rise to a whole lot of stuff, including the marginalisation, oppression and discrimination against people whose sexuality and gender is considered diverse by (laughs) the dominant culture. And also, in fact, as well, gives rise to a whole lot of very toxic domestic environment stuff that contributes to the risk of harm and also suicidality in women and children. Yeah, I think that's extremely well put. Um, We're learning more about this synergy between domestic and family violence and uh, and suicide prevention as well. And I think that's absolutely something that needs to be um, explored further as well. This might be an interesting segue into the sundowner session, uh, though, as well. And I know you got along to that, Joe, seemingly not having had enough Congress by 7 o'clock at night. This was the the two commissioners in discussion, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Look, I must admit I was cooking dinner while listening (laughs) because you have to do that to get through these days, I think. It was just I came in a bit late to the session and I actually want to go back and listen to the whole thing. But it was Christine Morgan and Gwen Shern. And Gwen's role is, you know, around veterans as the commissioner there. And... Gwen was, I think the segue you're alluding to here is Gwen was talking about how she'd lost her partner by suicide and the role of masculinity and those cultural norms and especially within, you know, that group of serving and ex-serving members, the dynamics there. And I remember she said, yeah, he, he was a mental health first aid trainer, but he wouldn't take it up on himself there. I mean, it's such complexity, isn't it? So... It was fantastic. I I wish I I can't even speak to everything she said. I'll just go really quickly to the the high level thing that I heard. And that was my reflection was actually, I wish I'd heard this presentation eight, 10 years ago when I started getting involved in suicide prevention, because there was just um, between Christine and Gwen, there was just this open conversation about what it takes to bring your lived experience into this space. Gwen is clearly a woman with great resilience and courage, but she can dig into her vulnerability and recovery and, and all of that so well but there was this part of the conversation towards the end which was about you know what do people who are in identified lived experience roles like what do they need by the organization that they're working in and I think this almost comes back as well to where we started Stephen with your presentation about the things that in the end some of it is just actually it's the things that we all need you know, safe, supportive workplaces, healthy workplaces. But there was a few things that were really specific around this lived experience space, like things like knowing that you've got to take a break after a conference like this and prioritising that for yourself because you will, you'll go down, you know. It's tough to come into these spaces and hold that. So, yeah, there was just so many things in there. I can't recommend it enough. I actually think it should be made available for all people with lived experience at the start of their journey who are thinking about getting involved in suicide prevention work. But really wonderful to hear that we've got such deep compassion and reflection in commissioners. It's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Joe. And um, 
I think that was a huge commendation of that session. So I'm certainly going to go and take a, a look at it myself. And um, that brings us to the end of our time for this podcast. But of course, it's a reminder that all of the videos for all of the sessions are available on the IS World Congress website and remain there available for all of the delegates for the next 12 months. So there's a huge amount of fantastic content, which uh, we would never have been able to have gotten to in a, a, a real world conference like you, you mentioned, Joe. So thank you so much for the discussion, uh, Carrie and Joe. I really appreciate you uh, jumping on for this and we will wrap up there. I'll just give a final uh, self-care message. As Joe was saying, make sure you take a bit of time out when you need to as well. So thank you again to everyone for uh, sponsoring these podcasts and to IAS for the Congress as well. Have a great day, everyone. Bye.